This week's episode is for anyone who's building a product or managing a team that is building products. When do you trust your gut and take risks? When do you eat your vegetables and talk to your customers for feedback? It's very tempting to lock ourselves away and build, build, build. We tinker so we feel productive. But what if that's just a lie we tell ourselves? In this episode, you'll hear from Scott Herf, the co-founder of Churnkey. We talk about the risks and safer bets he took when building his SaaS product and the processes he's put in place to protect himself and his team from self-delusion. So Scott, welcome to Future Fit Founder. When are we going back to? Well, we're going to get our uh, Nike Air Maxes on, jump in the DeLorean, but we're not going too far back. We're going to uh, February of 2022. So as of this recording, nine months ago. Wow. Mini jump. I like it. So what's happening (laughs) in February of this year? We're having a conversation with a very dear mentor of ours, uh, Rob Walling. He's a, a partner in Tiny Seed. And we're talking marketing strategy. And our company's name is Churnkey. We started out tackling the most challenging part of churn, which are, which are cancellations. And, and this, is, this is kind of a funny example of learn, learning from big tech and bringing it down to uh, what 37 Signals calls the Fortune 5 million. So we... We have all experienced Amazon's or Audible's frustrating cancellation experiences. They change buttons around on you, change layouts, but they entice you to stay on with credits or whatnot. And so we thought, well, how could we use this template, make it customer-centric, make it um, user-friendly, and bring that technology to um, subscription businesses you know, in the mid-market? And that's where we wanted to start because usually the founding teams are still in place. Usually, um, you know, founders, since we are also founders, we can have, we have that authenticity. We have all experienced similar challenges like, like high customer churn. And so we started in, you know, tackling voluntary churn for these businesses. And we have been doing it for a little over a year. And, you know, we're just talking to Rob about how we market ourselves because we were early into this category and the discussion moved through our name. And he goes, just as a side comment, he goes, well, your name's Churnkey. Churn is literally in your name. So if you're not doing all things churn, like how does your name even make sense? And we go, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those moments where you step back and you know, you've been staring at you know, something very obvious right in front of you. Then you, you, know, you, you step back and it comes into focus. So... The other side of churn is involuntary churn. So that's when your your payment method fails. You know, sometimes I'll I'll leave a card in place that's expired so I don't have to go cancel it myself. You know, we we actually have a term for that called quiet cancelers, like quiet quitting. But dunning dunning fill payment recovery, whatever you call it, it's only about twenty to thirty percent of churn. So it's not as big of a market opportunity. But a lot of companies have been doing this for about a decade and and they're very successful at it and they, they do make a lot of money at it and so this is a moment where we decide okay should we what can we do better or different entering a more mature market can we pull this off how do we even approach this because it's product and technology wise it's a very different product than we, we had built You're relying on you know the, the primary mechanism is email 
to recover payments. So you're dealing with email infrastructure and servers and trust and DKIM and all these acronyms and you're stepping into a very different world than than we have been used to living in. So that is the moment we were facing. Should we take on this massive expansion, probably including infrastructure, it was a 3X or it would be a 3X expansion of the product. Hmm. Okay, so just, just to recap for people listening, so you've got your folks on one part of churn. There's yep. another part, part of churn which people got a lot of existing players it's going to three exercise your business it's more complex it's a big step and it's triggered from one conversation with your advisor is that is that correct absolutely yep so what, what's 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 going through your mind at this time when you're we're considering this this step it's the mechanics of it mostly um and also the opportunity so so we tend to be more of an optimistic product team we do need to check ourselves and go, okay, what's going to go wrong? But um, <clears throat> we've all worked together in various capacities, and, and we know that we, working together, can pull off some pretty amazing feats just with the three of us building and shipping product. Now, we do have the ability to learn quickly, too. We, Whenever we, we're faced with a problem, we'll, our personalities aren't to stare at the wall and, and, and worry. We actually just love doing research and learning more about a situation because, you know, it, it just demystifies a decision or demystifies a situation. And what we found, you know, we, we realized that there hadn't been a lot of innovation in this space for the past decade. And on that note, some competition that seemed to be very established and dominant had only really been in the market for, for two or three years. And since we had also come at churn from a different angle, voluntary first, not involuntary first, we had some pretty interesting opinions on, on how we could make this a product that was different uh, and exciting using a modern tech stack. Um, you know, so the downside is, though, we're dealing with an infrastructure that we're unfamiliar with. There could be, you know, rampant costs, you know, sending a, a billion emails or whatever in a short time can be, be expensive. Uh, you know, and then you're handling the full payment stack for um, other companies' customers. So your, your customers' customers, it's like inception, you know, so it's a lot of trust to take on too. So it sounds like the the involuntary side is, if I get right, it was, it was actually a smaller slice of the market, had more, had, had more existing players. Right. And was going to require taking a lot more risk. I'm, I'm yeah, which curious is, as, yeah, yeah, it's an odd calculation to make. Um, what we had found though was, since our initial product, the cancellation flows, was such a new category, um, we were ahead of the market in a lot of ways, and so that meant a lot of our customers were splitting allegiances. So they're using us, and then they're using a potential competitor in the future for involuntary recovery. And that to us also posed a long-term risk or medium-term risk because, as we saw at one moment, one of these players moved in on us uh, on the cancellation mm. flow side. And so we saw, we saw how that could, you know, if you project in the future, it's not hard to believe someone else would do the same thing. So we figured we might, we might as well do this on our own terms, right? We may as well come at them on their turf before they can edge into ours and be prepared for that, right? Um, mm. so, so yeah, the, if, if, the, if you're going to go in, you had to go all in. 
Exactly. You know, a very Casino Royale move on uh, uh, <laughs> on our part. One of my favorite movies. What What would be useful then? So if, if we go, if we're in this moment, you're sort of sitting there with your co-founders, got your advisor, the sort of epiphany that go go all in with everything that means. What's what would be helpful to to get from today? You know, in in retrospect, one thing that I wish we had more of, and obviously knowing all the details and the mechanics and you know, demystifying the risk, you know, that encourages confidence. But we were we were worried about taking on existing players and, and worried about our ability to be differentiated, to win the deals on the calls, to restructure our product pipeline and, and staff up in time to make this happen. And we, we did have to to change the way we worked. But um yeah, I mean it it'd be interesting to to maybe work on ways for us to um, have more confidence in taking bigger risks, you know, understanding what those risks are, coming up with ways to qualify, quantify, materialize them um, so we can push harder more quickly. And is, is that something that is still, you think, still relevant today? I do. I think that we've demonstrated an ability to ship high quality products quickly that do have innovations built in and we are never running out of ideas but it comes down to vetting those ideas you know materializing the value there and figuring out which bet to make because there are a lot of bets we can make mm. trying to sort of narrow down as to which bet to make that feels like a very yeah i think a lot of entrepreneurs would and founders would love <laughs> would love to have the answer to that one Right. Yeah. So, so let's let's, let's uh, yeah. go back to that moment then. So you've got what yep. what other bets you can make in this moment? Yeah, I mean our our initial our initial product we could have doubled down on that and made sure you know it's it's the phenomenon of um, you know looking at your own work and always wishing it was better. I'm also a writer, so you know the book is never finished, the story is never finished, but it you have to sell it at some point. You have to get it out there and get it read. Uh, and that's the same as products. You know all the gritty details and flaws of it. And I'm a completionist and I want things to be, I know the potential they have. I know that uh, what the vision is. And sometimes, you know, the vision doesn't match what is in the wild, but it's still doing the job. It's still fulfilling the promise you've made to customers. And so that was that was one decision. It was well, are we gonna maybe ease off the perfection angle and and let our existing product do it stand up and do its own work for a bit while we shift attention to this other thing? So there were that was a very heavy decision to make. The other bet we could make was going into like further up the customer experience funnel and making an entirely different bet, shifting away from churn. And playing an entirely different game. And the reality is, you know, that is like a whole different product category. And so it felt as if if we left if we left the churn products with a gap in it, that felt like a vulnerability, you know? Mm. And we would still have the problem of um, customers potentially splitting allegiances, right? Between providers who could come out and, you know do what one of the one of the competitors did to us 
And then the third bet is to do what you did and move into move into right. the space. Right. Shore up the defenses, but also put our spin on it and you know, let let both of those products inform each other too. And that's the strength that that we found was we could do we could we could take bits of both sides of this product that, you know, together are very powerful and make that just so much more unique and interesting for customers. And and in this with your co-founders, was there sort of was it a tough decision to make? Was it was there conflicting viewpoints for 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 these different bets you could make? In retrospect, I I think I ended up being more of the conservative voices, where I said, "Well, you know, let's let's batten down the hatches of the original foundation, and we have all these ideas for how to improve this, and look what." Um, these new competitors are doing in the cancel flow space. But, you know, in, in this case, it was just a matter of, well, what would it take? You know, it's that, it's, it's, it's that moment where you, you do the research, you demystify it, and you realize that this is a, you know, you understand the mechanics of it. This is a mechanical problem, and it's just a matter of getting it done. And I think uh, there was a moment where, my co-founders came back after just a, well, like a mad scientist research session. You know, he kind of stayed up all night and he's like, I got it. I got the template. Here's this crazy diagram. It looked like, you know, a murder mystery or something of how these systems will work together. And um, he's like, okay, actually I kind of already started building it. And, you know, in, in that moment, it's hard to just to say no because we know what the the economics looked like, right? We knew what a go-to-market strategy looked like, so he kind of just came in with the, the 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 trump card, the the ace, and got got us to work. So it sounds like there's a process. I mean, what, one of the ways you've been giving yourself confidence in this is one is the team. You had confidence in the team that they had delivered before on, right. on this one product. You had a process that you'd follow to go out and scope what the solution could look like. Yep. You already had your just on your go-to-market strategy, even before the process, it was it was illuminating to to understand that it's not just building the product, right? It's talking about it, it's positioning it, it's pricing it, it's getting it into the hands of people, like through onboarding. It's you know a hundred moving parts. And um, in the past, I've been too eager to just say, "Oh yeah, it's just a." just a chat widget or it's just a it's just dunning you know how hard could it be and then you get in there and it's like trying to cross a river that's actually 50 feet deep right and and you're you know you're drowning in how to pull this thing off and then you question the whole thing i think one benefit of this decision and how we made it was encircling the technical and product aspects with the research on all the other things that went into it, right? I think that's one key takeaway I've been thinking a lot about in the past nine months is that the product can speak for itself for a lot longer than you think. I'm, I'm a product guy at heart. I love enhancing, pitching it, talking about it, you know, polishing it. But if it's doing if if it's fulfilling the promise you've made to the customer who was bought on you should probably shift more of your efforts into marketing it and you know building awareness of it 
instead of just polishing the stone back, you know, back in your basement. It's, um, mm. it changes a lot when you're out there. What, what, like what sort of things does it change? It builds a healthier business because you are getting new revenue in the door. It teaches you how to counter, you know, objections, competitive arguments. It illuminates what the core need of your product is because you're constantly talking about the solution and you're overcoming objections. And the way you overcome those objections, you know, feeds back into, it's this nice feedback loop of improvement and, you know, slight product shifting and, and, or even just the way you highlight and talk about new features or you, you know, you message, you message it. Sometimes just awareness is the biggest problem and it's not, we need to build a new feature, right? Hmm. And actually, it sounds from what you're saying, like actually to build a better product, you're going to build a better product by going out and having those conversations as well. Because if you're just sitting at home. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're, right. guess, you're guessing what people want. Yeah. And <clears throat> this is something that it's, it's classic, like eat your vegetables advice and, and insights. But man, for me, like when when things get uncertain or difficult or decisions are murky, I find myself retreating back into my comfort zone and that's just building new stuff and what I think people will want. But I mean, it having customer conversations, products exist to find customers. That is why we are here. You know, it, it always goes back to the basics, right? And it's just so boring to say and it's, grueling at times and the, the logistics are annoying you know finding time to meet or whatever and, and a lot of the times you're hearing stuff that that creates dissonance and that's an uncomfortable feeling but it still is the core of why we exist and yeah so I, I need to force myself to get out of my comfort zone of just building stuff in my basement well I'm in my basement all the time these days uh <laughs> that's a that's not a great comparison but yeah you, you, you get where I'm going with that I do and actually I think that's really powerful, that idea that building product can feel like it's productive. But is that is it actually a retreat and a safety mechanism when you feel uncomfortable? Right. I like how you put that because it's the illusion of progress or it's the, um, you know, it's kind of like a mirage or something, but you're just really just keeping yourself busy and wasting time in, in many cases. I mean, you, you know, people get lucky and that's what creates the whole myth of, and it's kind of like this like Silicon Valley myth of building products. You know, you have these like deep insights walking through the orange grove and suddenly you're a, you're IPOing, you know, it's like, that doesn't work like that, you know? <laughs> so yeah. Well, it's like, like, uh, so, Oh, how are you going to market product? Word of mouth. It's like, well, it's going to take a bit more than word of mouth to market your product. Right, um, but we're going to be so good they can't not talk about us. You know, it's like okay, well. But it's actually really interesting. You, you see this. I, I think it's really great that you're acknowledging this. Like, I think most people have their strength. Mm -hmm. I view that sounds like it's definitely product. But you have managers who will spend hours in people meetings because that feels like productive use of time. Like you can't like you spend yeah. time with your people. That's that's important. Well, it, yeah. it depends what you're spending time 
doing if you're just avoiding doing something else. And I think there are a lot of, when going back to Covey's matrix, a lot of things that feel like they're important, but are actually quadrant three activities. They're disguised quadrant three activities. Like mm-hmm. spending lots of time with your team can be a quadrant three activity. Developing new code can be a quadrant three activity. And actually right. we feel like it's like super urgent and super important, or maybe not urgent, but important. Right. But is it just a very sort of clever way of procrastination or avoiding something uncomfortable? I, I'm, and I'm very sensitive to this too. And, and I learned a lot about how I cope with uncertainty in, in, in business and product. I was a part of a, a VC backed startup between like 2010 and 2015. And then we got Aqua hired by Tinder. And all we did was just endlessly build new products. I mean, five years of that, we would do a new product probably every three to six months. And, you know, we thought we were brilliant and we thought we were just so talented and we had these crazy insights, you know, but in in reality, we were just chasing trends and we were burning up a lot of money and, you know, kind of showboating that we could build things very quickly. But that's all we did. We just built, we didn't source customer needs. We didn't really sit down and understand. It was, it was a, it was, there were more pitch sessions than anything. And, you know, we barely marketed once we were out there. So it was just like, oh, we got on TechCrunch. They will come to us, field of dream style. You know, one post will solve everything. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really sensitive to that. And I, I have the awareness. I still do it because it's, I love doing it, but it's not always the right path, right? Hmm. So, how, so if you can acknowledge that, then what, what have you found effective ways to 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 break out of that pattern? Um, the 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 first one is is hearing hearing where your product is not delivering, hearing where other people are doing things more and more effectively than you are. But then that is a gateway to, well, okay, let's back up. What do you actually, what do you actually want to do, you know, in this, in this situation? Like, what are you using this product to help? How are you using this product to help you? Is it helping you in the way you think it's helping you? And, you know, since we're in the business of helping other businesses, you know, how do you think your business is healthier, you know, by using this thing? And, and that will just snap me out of my like, well, I mean, of course I would want this cool new feature idea that I'm thinking of if, as a founder. So let's just do it. But, you know, I have a very narrow window into, you know, my, my particular business, um, you know, particulars. And so those don't translate always to, you know, the, 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 the whole market that we, I know we can help out. So having yeah having kind of buzzkill conversations that ground me and you know that sparks new awareness new empathy new ideas um you know and writes the ship a bit and it, it it takes a lot of conversations right it's it's not just like oh i popped my vitamin today i'm good i had one one conversation you know it's a it can be a painful process and that's why i think i avoid it but that's why it's important because if I'm avoiding it, how many other people are avoiding it? You know, how can I use this as a, as a competitive advantage, you know, kind of like hmm. numbing the pain or whatever, right? It feels like 
just from what you're saying, there are actually some some quite key processes that you rely on to make these decisions. So there's, there's like one is to have the conversation, like be disciplined about having conversation with customers. So make sure it's product led. Yep. There is something around the process of research as well. I think above and beyond speaking to customers, it feels like to sort of set set the scene. And then there's mapping out sort of everything that it could entail, not going, oh, it's just it's just one little change. It's kind of no no, this is it looks small, but actually there's a lot of complexity. So that feels like we've identified yeah. three pretty powerful disciplines that underpin confidence in making a decision of like this type. I see what you did there. That was smooth. Yeah. I mean I <laughs> sounds like I didn't I, uh, do this for a job. <laughs> <laughs> right. On the on the last one, my favorite anecdote is I'm I'm at Tinder. I'm tasked with the directive was, well, just add a button. How hard, how hard could it be? And this was this was a new feature that would allow you to super like someone. Which which for those who aren't aware of Tinder, you would basically it was a way to declare intent to the the opposite party because Tinder is a double blind model. But if you knew that someone had already liked you, you would guarantee a match. You would guarantee a conversation. And so that one button, um, <laughs> I literally redesigned the entire app to accommodate that one button. And, you know, what was a week-long scoped project became a month and a half at bare minimum, right? So, yeah, it's... It's that, but it's that classic, you know, know what you're getting into, know where it's going to be particularly murky. Um, so if, if, if we come back to this idea of, of this, these three disciplines and building conferences where we, where, where we came to in this. Yep. Is there anything else that, that you could do to build more confidence in these moments? We don't usually look back at successes as often as maybe we should. I don't think we want to get complacent or have an inflated sense of our our abilities as a team. But it is useful to <clears throat> leave milestones, to look back at milestones and say, okay, a year ago we were here revenue-wise, product-wise, team-wise. It's only been a year. And look where we are now. So I think... Allowing perspective to fuel, at least fuel drive, that could be more effective, I think. It's just, it's just doing that in a way that is maybe more serendipitous. You know, maybe there are systems we could set up that, hey, hey, three months ago, this was your customer count and revenue. Isn't that inspiring? Look where you are now. Or it could be very depressing, depending on how things go. But... um <laughs> Uh, you know that that's Look one that super like button now. <laughs> oh yeah, I know, man. Not hitting that. Yeah, so that's one that comes to mind. Mm, yeah, so kind of like a systematized capture of milestones and just check in just right. to see just to see how things are going. Yeah, it reminds me of um, an, it's an older app called Time Hop <clears throat> that would, and I'm gonna date myself here. I think mine your your four square check ins for photos. And it would say, it'll just, and Apple does this with their photos, and I'm sure Google does too. But, um, yeah, hey, like four years ago, look where you were, look who you were with. 
you know, that, that could be useful. Although the, um, man with kids, I got three kids under four and, uh, those Apple reels they put together, I, I can't watch them. I tear up just the, the nostalgia and the time passage kills me. I think they say like for me, like I look at myself four years ago, pre kids and everything else. I'm like, I look like a whole different person. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I had more hair too. So at least, you know, at least you're winning on that front. What's interesting is that this, the systematized, like it feels like this fourth element we add in is this, this systematization of, of positivity or, or mm-hmm. learnings is another discipline slash system. There's definitely a focus on looking at failure to go, oh, well, what can we learn from that? But I think capturing both, capturing the positive side, mm-hmm. sounds like right. quite, quite powerful as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, too, um, yeah, we, we haven't, speaking of churn, we haven't had a, really a lot of churn for, within our own business. But... It makes those moments where, you know, the handful they have even more painful and, and an example where we can learn, you know, where did we fail communicating value or helping someone get onboarded or getting the right people on the right call or just having a call versus chatting over email or whatever, you know, learning that FaceTime still has value even if we're remote and in the cases where we can't have face value, like look how much more close we are as, you know, we're more partners than a customer, you know, what's the other side of a customer? I don't know. Dynamic, right? Hmm. So I like that though. I mean, it'd be good to look back at on this date, you know, you lost this much in revenue and, and maybe there's some notes we could attach to it and, and, and institutionalize that. It reminds me completely different scale, but before Steve Jobs died, he, basically spent all of his time building what is now, I think, Apple University and just institutionalizing how we thought about product and their processes and, you know, all the all the Steve Jobs-isms that would be a loss to time, right? He made sure that was, you know, put on paper. And I think there's also a moving forwards way as well. Like, I think... What I've seen is founders tend to be quite bad at celebrating success because you said yeah. this feel like, oh, will we get complacent? Is it really success? Have we really made it? There's another step to go. But I That's think setting point. out milestones, like mini milestones in advance and celebrating partial success can actually be quite right. beneficial, not only for the founder, but also, say, for the team. Because there's a story to be told there. As the founder, was like, oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? That can also trickle down to the team as well. Go, oh, what? It doesn't really count because it, it's the next thing that's important. Yeah, I, I really like how you describe that dynamic because I'm 100% guilty. One of my favorite phrases is, what's next? And I learned that from The West Wing, You know that show. I don't know if you've seen it with Martin Sheen. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's... It's it, the show is so quickly paced, and the dialogue is just insanely snappy and fast. And you know, everyone's catchphrase is just like, "All right, what's next?" Because you know, you just you never stop. And and that's how I I just I feel like I'm running every day, and to slow down and and reflect feels like it's 
can be a time waster. But as we grow, you know, it's not just going to be going to be us to your point. It's not just going to be the founding team. And it's, you know, and it's not that today, right? It's we rely on, on a, a lot of a lot of our team members who aren't founders to make this this happen. So I like how you put that. I wonder even if it's just just for yourself. So it's just like it feels like a waste of time or maybe even a luxury to take that moment. But I think we right. can get trapped in modes of behavior or patterns of behavior if we're just head down doing what's next. We're not ask, taking a step back to ask, is what's next the right what's next? <laughs> we could quickly find ourselves yeah. back in the basement building product without taking that step back. <laughs> Scott, you're back in the basement again. Let's go and talk to some customers. Totally, totally. And yeah, I mean, that forcing function for me is... Um, you know, is a version of that. It is a version of slowing down. It is a version of regrounding. And it could be a celebration too of we're on the right path, right? Or it could be, mm. yeah, I mean, it, it could obviously be various degrees of that. But yeah, the I mean, the, obviously the, the worry there too is not make it a self a self-selecting loop where I know I'm going to talk to Davis because he's going to, he loves what we're doing and it's just a feel good dopamine hit. You know, that's not the point either, you know? Hmm. But I think that goes back to your system, right? But it's kind of, it's not just one conversation. It's not a sporadic conversation. It's about building these systems and processes in so that we know right. they're going to happen whether we feel good or bad. We know we can rely on them when we're making decisions. Right. And we've seen them right. work before, so we know they'll work again. The stakes only get higher as you build your business. Like your next big decision, if it's another 3x decision, that's <laughs> astronomically bigger than the last 3x decision. Or maybe it's a 5x decision. And actually then you've got not only the founders, you've got founders and a team. And like the consequences of it going wrong are get bigger and bigger as well. Yeah. And it makes all those decisions in the past feel like they were, you know, a child's play because you're so much farther down the road. Yeah. Hmm. But I think what you do do is you build those faith in your systems. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, building a wall or a something, maybe not a wall, but like, you know, one brick at a time. One of my favorite mentors uh, in the past 10 years has been um, Amy Hoy, who has a, a blog called Stacking the Bricks. And she talks about how to, you know, if you want to build a business for the first time, you you know need to find um, a community and understand their pain, and then you know find ways to to alleviate that pain. And the way you do it is, you know, you you release little bits of how to do X or you know so alleviating that pain with little little tiny bits. And she calls it stacking the bricks. And then you know you build up to launching your business or or whatever. And I really like that imagery. Where, where are you today? So you've gone to this moment, you took the leap, despite being the conservative one, you built it. Where, where's where's Chernkey today? We're in a fascinating place. We've grown, since that decision, we've grown revenue by about 10x. And what we thought would be <clears throat> kind of like a um, an additive to the Cancel Flow product has become a product that is on equal footing. So it's it's selling itself, and in many cases, it's 
it's the lead driver for a customer to get onboarded. And what's great about uh, this product is it shows you plug it in and it literally will show you ROI within the next three minutes. It is such a, it's so satisfying seeing those first, you know, payments get recovered. And it gives a lot of faith to new customers who, you know, we're handling a very sensitive topic for them. It's people who are using your product who haven't paid and you're chasing them down for money, essentially. And, you know, that's that's on an unpleasant potential interaction. And so we need to make that as pleasant, modern, dynamic, and, and fast as possible. There can be no pain involved for anyone here. And so, yeah, what we're finding is I, I think our approach to it is is resonating as a fresher take on how this, this you know, industry works and could work. And um, I wish we had done it sooner, honestly. I wish we would have maybe thought bigger initially and, and we'd have a, a, way, a way larger head start. Because uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, market right now. The industry is consolidating and shaking up and um, there's a lot of space to maneuver now in, in different ways than there were even three, six months ago. So if we, we had been poised with this product earlier on, I think our ground would be, you know, we'd, we'd be sitting very, very much in a, in a better place, but we're still in a great place right now. Hmm. And, and having sort of gone through this today, what's, has anything struck you? Yeah. Um, they were a team that can take on what look like insurmountable challenges and or can go toe to toe with monoliths. And, you know, it, we've realized that just because you've been in the industry for 10 years, just because you your SEO game is insane, doesn't mean that you there are not opportunities to win business away from them or just win new business outright because of what, you know, what you offer and your different take on it. So we're building some really, really crazy stuff that right now that I would have said a year ago would be just impossible to pull off. But um, it's just, it's really, just really fun dynamic of intersection of just really advanced technology, cutting edge kind of, um, AI driven stuff, like legitimately AI driven stuff, not like, you know, the marketing thing. And then, you know, helping companies understand, really understand the, the, the valuable customers they have, the ones that could be more valuable, you know, and, and identifying opportunities within their own customer base for building a healthier business. So it's wild times, man. Awesome. Well, Scott, that has been really interesting and uh, thanks for sharing so much stuff around the systems that's going to be very helpful for any other product people or general business people who are getting stuck in the basement and not out with their customers <laughs> stuck in the basement new podcast title not bad <laughs> awesome well, we'll catch up soon appreciate it As you heard today, coaching opens up a whole range of insights and areas to explore. If you have a potential moment to revisit on the podcast, or just want to learn more about coaching, book in for a 30-minute chat with me at peer-effect.com.